listen to the message now in Mandarin, please log on to the Linguali Wi-Fi network here in the building. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the book of Song of Songs. And even though it's difficult to understand and apply and there have been lots of challenges over the last two months, we thank you for it. We thank you for its wisdom. And we pray that as we wrap it up in this chapter today, that you would again give us understanding, wisdom, that we might live in all of our relationships for your glory. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, as we think about love stories and love songs, I can't help go past this iconic scene of a movie from many years ago. Does anyone know the movie that that scene comes from? The Princess Bride. And it's a wonderful scene where the the minister says these words about love. Love, true love, will follow you forever. So treasure your love. I don't know if you remember the scene. The Princess Bride is a wonderful love story. Uh, The committed love of two young lovers, a Wesley, who is the man, and his beloved Buttercup. They survive separation, cliffs of insanity, fire swamps, rodents of unusual size. They even survive death, well, mostly death. And then as the movie ends, they ride off into the sunset like many Hollywood romance movies, hand in hand. It's a great story. But of course, that's not how life often plays out, is it? Sometimes our relationships don't survive the fire swamps and maybe that has been your experience this morning. And death, of course, is real and it can and does indeed snatch our loved ones away from us and maybe you are in that situation this morning where your beloved spouse has gone to be with the Lord. Yet the story of true love no matter what our relationship status, still captivates our hearts and our minds. We have this insatiable desire, I believe, within us that wants stories like The Princess Bride to be told to us over and over again. And even boys, and there's this great scene in The Princess Bride where the young boy says, oh, is this a kissing book? And then throughout the movie, he goes, I like this book even the kissing parts. Even boys, we like kissing stories because we all have a desire for for this to be our reality, to be involved in a love story. And Hollywood is happy to oblige, selling it to us as much as they can. And it's into this story of true love that Song of Songs has spoken so powerfully to us over the last two months. Right from the very beginning of this series, we've seen that Song of Songs affirms true love. Song of Songs affirms the goodness of human intimacy and marriage in particular. Yes, it rejects the lust of Solomon's chariot bed and those who would follow in his footsteps, but it sings joyfully of the intimate bedroom of a young Wesley and Buttercup a couple who are passionately trying their best to live out the reality of human love and intimacy as God designed it in the Garden of Eden. Faithful, passionate, monogamous love. 
for one another, a love that flows from the very reality of God himself. And as we come to this final chapter of the song today, many of those themes that we've seen throughout the song uh, come together almost like a, a crescendo to the end of the song. But there is one other theme that comes very much to the fore as the song concludes. And this one particular theme is one of the most important themes because it binds all the others together. And without this one, the others can be faulty. What is that theme? I want to suggest it's the theme of faithfulness or commitment. The message, I think, of Song of Songs, chapter 8, indeed the message of the entire song is that true love, if you're looking for it, true love is faithful, not fickle. True love is faithful, not fickle. If you jump down to verse 6 of Song of Songs, chapter 8, it's one of the most well-known verses of Song of Songs and is often read out at wedding ceremonies. Hear it again, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6. Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. Now, the seal there is not the oh, oh kind of seal, but the seal of the ancient world, like your, your stamp. If you wanted to associate your name with something, to identify with something, to give your approval to something, you would place your seal on it. It might be a, a, a written letter or document uh, or something like that. And what this wife is saying to her husband here is, place me as a seal on your arm. I want some external acknowledgement that I am yours, that you are committed to me, that you are very happy and willing to associate my name with you, that you and I are committed to each other, but not just a seal on his arm. And I don't know how many husbands have their wives' name tattooed to their arms today. Um, we still have external recognitions of faithfulness, don't we? Uh, wedding rings and things like that. But she doesn't want just an external acknowledgement that he is committed to her and that she is committed to him. She also says, place me as a seal on your heart. I want to know that on the inside, as much as the outside, that you are committed and faithful to me. I want you to promise and to keep those promises to me. Now, why is this faithfulness so important? Well, two images follow in the end of verse 6 and verse 7. And both of these images remind us of the permanence of love, how deep and powerful it is and it's not to be messed with. And so faithfulness must come to the fore. Have a look again, the end of verse 6. Why a seal on your heart and your arm? For love is as strong as death. Ardent love is unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, the fiercest of all. Did you see those two images of love? Both evoking ideas of permanence. Love is like death. And if there's anything more permanent in our physical world than death, I don't know what it is. There's not too many people that can dig themselves out of their own grave. There is this frustrating and sad permanence associated with death. But according to this, love is as strong as death if not stronger than death. And those of you who have lost a loved one, know that your love for them doesn't cease when they are no longer physically with you. Love goes beyond the grave. And we who are Christians know just how strong love is beyond death. For it was the love of God that transcended the 
cross of Calvary, that as Jesus went to the tomb, God's love raised him from death. God's love is stronger than death. And our human love as an expression of God's love is meant to be strong like that and not to be messed with. The second image was the image of a, of a fire, of a, of a flame that's so strong that even the mightiest of waters cannot quench. I don't know if you've seen bushfires on the news in recent times and, you know, normally water just puts out fire. But when the fire is so strong and powerful, even a significant amount of water can struggle to put it out. And Song of Songs is saying true love is like that. It cannot be easily quenched. And I want you to see why. Have a look in verse, at the end of verse 6. Do you notice in your Bibles there's a little B as a footnote? Can you see that? That's meant to drive you down to the bottom of the page. And usually what that little letter means is that there's an alternative translation of that verse. And this one is quite significant. So if you look at the footnote at the bottom of your page, for chapter 8, verse 6, it says, The fiercest of all could also read, Or the blaze of the Lord. Love's flames are fiery flames, as the blaze of the Lord. Now, throughout Song of Songs, God is not addressed directly. But if this translation is correct, here you see God's name come into the very Song of Songs. And right at the end, in the crescendo of the song, talking about the strength and the permanence of love, and here you see why love is permanent, why love is strong, because it comes from the Lord. And remember our readings from 1 John, you get that great summary sentence, God is love. And God's love cannot be quenched. God's love is permanent and unrelenting. And our human love is meant to resemble and echo that love. And so true love is meant to be faithful, permanent, doesn't give up easily is not fickle. Now I've noticed in recent years as a, as a minister and young couples come to me to get prepared for a wedding and, and their marriage and, and sometimes they ask, is it okay if they write their own vows? To which I say, uh, that's very romantic of you to want to write your own vows but as an Anglican minister there's a certain um, program that I, and certain vows that we need to say as for my license as an Anglican minister. Um, which I'm very glad to, to hold on to because sometimes, not always, but sometimes young couples come to me with vows that they want to say, which to be frank, tend to emphasise romantic feelings and subjective things like that, but not faithfulness. So sometimes I've heard couples say, uh, I want to say this, I promise to never lose that love and feeling. Did you know the song by the Righteous Brothers? maybe not in a wedding vow, or I promise, darling, to run my fingers through your hair every night, which I find offensive. <laughs> maybe you have heard vows like that at different wedding ceremonies, I don't know. And the Bible is not against romance and those subjective feelings in any way, shape or form, but it does know that romance and feelings, like the seasons, come and go. But for true love, it needs to go beyond the romance and the feelings and it needs to be built on faithfulness, not fickleness. 
which is why the traditional wedding vows are so good, can I say. Listen to these again and see what the emphasis is on. You won't see fingers running through hair here. I, Mike, take you, Ness, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. This is my solemn vow and promise. Do you hear the heart of those vows? It's not I will love you whilst you make me feel good. It's I will love you in the good times, in the bad times, and in the incredibly sad times. I promise to be there with you and for you. Because that's an expression of what true love is, faithfulness. Now, inside your service sheet today, uh, I've printed for you uh, a wheel diagram, a picture which I think encapsulates the entire message of Song of Songs. That true love and true love's expression in marriage when it works best is meant to look like this. It's meant to be a wheel that moves forward. Uh, marriage and human relationships are not meant to be stagnant, but they are meant to, to move forward in, in Christ-likeness, in anticipation of God's kingdom and all of those different ideas. But for a wheel to move, it needs some key parts. It needs a good hub in the middle that drives the wheel. And what better hub to build a relationship of intimacy on than God's love? The greatest example of love. And we've seen that today in Song of Songs. But you also need a, a rim to enable the wheel to, to move. And what better rim to build your marriage or any relationship on than commitment and faithfulness? Not fickleness, whether you're going to be here one day and not the next faithfulness and then within the the core of the wheel itself here are the four big themes that we've been witnessing throughout the song of songs four big ideas to build a flourishing marriage and relationship in general uh, themes like speech the art of communicating words of adoration to somebody the theme of safety Practical love in action to make sure your beloved and your lover knows that they can be open and vulnerable with you because you are a banner of safety. Struggle. That there will always be times of struggle and conflict in every relationship, but you are committed to resolving those well. And of course, sex, physical intimacy, building that connection. Not just the icing on the cake of a marriage, but an important ingredient of the cake itself. When all of those things are working well, bound together by faithfulness, driven by God's love himself, the wheel can roll smoothly. And you need all. If you build a marriage or an intimate relationship just on, say, physical intimacy, but not faithfulness, your marriage will be shallow at best, dangerous at worst as lust can potentially take over and lead you in all manner of directions marriage is defined by only struggle but not faithfulness N no attempt to reconcile or look for forgiveness will just lead to ongoing pain 
marriage is defined by speech, as good as adoring words are, but not followed by love in action and faithfulness in that area, is just hypocrisy, as you say one thing, but you don't follow up. A marriage defined by just safety, as good as safety is, but none of the other areas and faithfulness in those areas, your marriage will just feel like a chore and a duty, but no passion and desire. And so as Song of Songs comes to a conclusion in chapter 8, each of these four themes come to this glorious crescendo, bound together by faithfulness and encourages us particularly if we are married, but these principles apply across the board in every relationship. Be faithful in all of these four areas and then your wheel will roll smoothly. Let me show you. First of all, faithfulness in your struggles. And by that I don't mean keep looking for struggles or create more struggles. You don't need to. They will come automatically just by virtue of two imperfect humans being in close proximity to each other. But what the song encourages us is be faithful in your struggles. Don't let them overwhelm you. Don't let those foxes come into the vineyard, as the song talks about, and eat away the intimacy that you have. Be faithful in seeking to overcome them. Uh, We know that in the Song of Songs, this idyllic couple have had their moments of frustration, their miscommunication. And even as the song ends, there's still this air of uncertainty about their relationship. So have a look at verse 1 of chapter 8, where there is this doubt, where she says, If only I could treat you like my brother, one who nursed at my mother's breast, I would find you in public and kiss you, and no one would scorn me. I would lead you, I would take you to the house of my mother who taught me. I would give you spice wine to drink from my pomegranate juice. There is almost a a, a cry that that their relationship is not well respected or received by others. Uh, Maybe it's not by Solomon. Maybe he has longed to have this girl in his harem and she has turned away from him and only has eyes for her shepherd boy lover. Maybe it's her brothers or her parents that don't like this relationship. Maybe they want her to stay in the vineyard, out in the side, working the family business. There's no time for love and romance. Maybe it's just their overt public displays of affection that people don't like. Their tender touches and their adoring words, too much. But whatever the case, this issue doesn't cause their relationship to break down. So we see in verse 5, who is this coming up from the wilderness, leaning on the one she loves? And that verse echoes very much what we saw in chapter 3, where I uh, taught that, Chapter 3 is talking about Solomon's chariot bed of lust coming up out of this barren wilderness and desert place. And you see Solomon devouring the young ones on his chariot bed. And we're meant to see this loving couple coming up from the wilderness. They've had their desert times, their barren experiences as well, but they're not coming up devouring each other. They're coming up, how do you notice? Leaning on each other. Even in the midst of struggles, They have remained faithful to one another, serving one another, leaning on each other, working it through as a team together. So let me encourage you, particularly if you're married, be faithful in your struggles. Don't let those desert times, those barren times, those times of conflict and frustration so overwhelm you. You can come out of that leaning on each other the more you work through it together.
the second theme that we talked about, faithfulness and safety. And we can see that again here in the song in chapter 8. We've seen them leaning on each other in verse 5. But then there's these wonderful verses, uh, wonderful words in verse 3, uh, words that we've heard before as well. Let me read it again. His left hand is under my head and his right arm embraces me. They are exact words that we read in Song of Songs chapter 2 where she talked about being completely safe in his arms. His left arm is under my head. His right arm embraces me. He's got me in a big giant bear hug and I love it because I know that those arms are not there to intimidate but to initiate love and care and welcome. And so just as the song began in chapter 2, so it ends here in chapter 8 where each other are places of safety. They have been faithful in ensuring that each other can be open and vulnerable with each other. And again, so if you are married, please work hard at being faithful in terms of safety. Husbands, keep waving that banner of love over your partner so that they know that they can be safe in your arms, that they have no reason to fear. Wives, be places of safety for your husbands. Physically, yes, but also emotionally and spiritually as well. And it's interesting, as the song goes on, particularly in verse 8 and 9, this idea of being faithful in safety applies beyond just the marriage relationship. There's a call to protect those who are younger. Have a look at verse 8 and 9, where it could be the brothers of this wife talking or just other young people and they say this our sister is young she has no breasts what will we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for if she is a wall we will build a silver parapet on it if she is a door we will enclose it with cedar planks and i hope you can see beyond the poetry there to what it's signifying that there is a younger sister or a daughter And the idea is that those who are older, older brothers and sisters, parents, need to protect their young daughters, their young sisters, build doors and walls around them so that for the day that they are spoken for, they are prepared and protected. I I kind of joke when people come to my house that my daughter is not allowed to date till she's 30. And I half joke. Because as a dad, and as I read the scriptures in this particular part of Song of Songs, it's my duty to protect my daughter. And I don't want just any boy taking her out. I don't want any Solomon getting his fingers on my daughter. I will build walls around her. Dads of past talked about having shotguns in their house. I'm not saying I'm going that far. But I want to protect my daughter. And if some boy wants to take my daughter out, he has to take me out first. He has to buy me flowers. He has to take me to the movies. And then I'm going to ask him what's his expectations and plans. And only then, if I'm satisfied, he can take her out. I half joke, but can you see my desire is to protect, to prepare my daughter for the world that she's going to inhabit and indeed already does. And so if you are a dad or if you're an older brother, protect our young girls. When I was in youth ministry for many years, I would say to the young teenage girls, you are like daughters in Christ to me 
and I want your safety to be paramount as well. I don't want just any boy from the local boys' school to date you. In fact, why don't you ask them if a boy asks you out, would you be willing to sit down with my minister first and talk to him? And then if he says yes, then maybe he is a guy that is worth giving your attention to. If not, move on. Be faithful in being places of safety, both in marriage and for those who are vulnerable and young. And thirdly, being faithful in physical intimacy, sex. If one was just to casually read Song of Songs, you might be excused for thinking that the whole song is just about physical intimacy. But there is so much more to it, and I hope that you've seen that. As you've seen their words of adoration, their places of safety, their desire and love for one another. But their physical intimacy is a big deal in the song, and it is not something that we ought to just dismiss or allegorize. They do actively pursue each other, arouse each other, and seek to reignite desire over and over again. And as the song finishes, you can still see that. As the song began with a cry, Oh, that he would kiss me. So the song ends, verse 10. I am a wall and my breasts are like towers, so in his eyes I have become like one who finds peace. And then there's a contrast with Solomon again. Solomon owned a vineyard in Baal Haman. He leased the vineyard to tenants. Each was to bring for his fruit a thousand pieces of silver. I have my own vineyard. The thousand are for you, Solomon, but two hundred for those who guard its fruits. Now, again, it's very difficult to know with certainty exactly what that reference to Solomon's vineyard is all about. My take on it is that the song is saying that Solomon was happy to let out his vineyard, his bedroom, his body to whoever, and he was happy to pay people to come and share in his bedroom. But she, the thousand pieces of silver are for you. You can keep your money, Solomon. I have my vineyard. I have my lover. He is mine. Your money cannot persuade me to come with you. She says that her breasts are like towers, but they are for him. And for him, they bring contentment. So if you are married, can I encourage you to be faithful in this area? Wives, even if some rich gentleman offers you money beyond your dreams, to be with him, do not give in. Be faithful with each other. The allure of Solomon's chariot is still alive today. And if you aren't married, can I encourage you to be faithful in this area as well? As I said many weeks ago, Solomon's chariot is all around us on the internet. Protect yourself. Renew your mind, be faithful in this area, and there is blessing to be discovered. And fourthly, faithfulness in speech. Faithfulness in speech. I hope you've seen that their words of adoration have been a constant presence throughout the song. And as it begins, so it ends. Verse 13, you who dwell in the gardens, companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear you. Darling, I want to hear your words. I want to hear your voice. And she responds, hurry to me, my love. Be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains. 
of spices. And those words were there in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and so it ends as well. They have been faithful in their kindness of their speech. So let me encourage you again, if you're married, to continue to be faithful in your words of adoration. We had a, a marriage enrichment dinner last night, and one of the very exercises I got couples to do was to write down complimentary adjectives to describe their spouse. And uh, spouses, I hope that throughout this series that you've been encouraged to send loving words, text messages, emails, write little love letters, put them up on the fridge. doesn't matter if the kids see them. It's good for them to see it. Continue to be faithful in your speech. Because true love is faithful, not fickle. So that's the end of Song of Songs. Some of you are like, oh, (laughs) Thank you, we can now move on to something else. But I hope that even if you have struggled through this series, that you have seen glimpses of glory, that this love and this intimacy that's so obvious in the song is a created good by God. But there's one final thing that I want to say. Did you notice and were you satisfied with how the song ended? It ended with an invitation, hurry to me, my love but we don't know what happened. Did they ride off into the sunset together like the princess bride? Did they live happily ever after? The song just ends and we don't know. And I think that's deliberate. Because remember, this love song is inspired by God. It's a reflection, if you like, of his love song. And God's love song does not finish at Song of Songs chapter 8. There are many verses of this song still to be recorded. And the final verse and chorus of God's love song would not be written until the Son of God himself would enter the world and say, one greater than Solomon has arrived. And when he also said this about his father, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The Song of Songs is incomplete because it's just a pointer to something more majestic in God's love story. In God's love story, he is the groom. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ is the groom. And we are the beloved. We are the bride that he pursues with his word. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He is the word that pursues us with kindness and grace. He is the one that overcomes the struggles of the world, temptation. He is the one that even offers his own life as a sacrifice to ensure that we can be safe with God forever. He is the one that desires and knows us more intimately than we can even know ourselves. And he is the one who is generous beyond compare. Because in God's world, there is something bigger than just human marriage. There is a relationship with him that is permanent and that will never end. You are the Lord Jesus Christ's bride. What a privilege. Whether you are single or you're married, we're all going to be united to Christ in the most wonderful way. And we can even experience that now by his spirit if we turn to him. Have you turned to him? Are you searching for Tuwal? 
You think that you're married and you may already have found it. But it is just a smoldering flame compared to God's love for you in Christ. And that's what I want you to dwell on as we finish this time together. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your permanent love for us, that it's stronger than death, unyielding as the fiercest of fires. It flows from your very character and nature as Father, Son, Spirit. Thank you that our human relationships are meant to echo that great, permanent, faithful love. And even though we fail in this area so many times, we thank you for the good news of Christ. We thank you for the gospel that can reshape our thinking and our desires and our hopes and our dreams. And we pray, Father, that by the power of your Son, you might change our hearts to want to pursue again the faithfulness, the passion, the sacrificial love that you have shown us that our marriages in particular might flourish, that our relationships amongst our family members might thrive, and that our friendships in our workplaces might not just be built on competitiveness, but compassion and love. And it's for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. not disillusioned think you might well done uh, some challenges there for all of us aren't there um, okay so uh, we don't want to just listen to God's word do we we actually want to practice it uh, as James 2 reminds us so uh, over the next minute or two uh, why don't you do one of uh, two or three things uh, fill out your engage card perhaps uh, with a question, prayer request, uh, information from ministry team, uh, if that's what you'd like to do. Or perhaps write down some thoughts on the sermon uh, that you're actually going to follow up and put into practice in the coming week. Um, again, if you've got a question, jot that down, clarify it in your mind, so that when we bring the mic around later, uh, you'll be ready to go, uh, that we might all benefit from that. Uh, or you may just want to spend this time in silent uh, prayer and reflection uh, before the music team comes up again and continues to lead us in uh, song. Thank you. <laughs>